Shalom, everyone. This is Luke Tanner with Zion Hebraic Congregation. Today's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner. It is entitled, A Bad Marriage in the First Place, from Romans chapter 6 and 7. You can find all those Shabbat messages on our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com, as well as on your favorite podcast providing platforms such as Apple Podcasts. Also on our website, you can subscribe to my dad's blog uh, in the subscribe box. It'll get emailed to you each week. And you can also find their links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Good to see everybody. Glad you're here. Today we're going to be reading Romans 6 and 7. Spend some time in 7. Um, a plug. On Romans, in, uh, on Romans 7, 22, that's my blog for this week. Delight in the Law slash Torah. So I'd like to draw your attention to that. And well, so mo- I want to say most, not always. But lots of times my blogs come from where I happen to be reading. So I'm... I've been parked in Romans 6, 7, 8, 6, 7, 8, 6, 7, 8, just been reading, reading, reading. And um, come to understand and realize, and everybody seemed to know this but me, that 6, 7, and 8 are, are kind of considered a unit together, not separate from the book, but 6, 7, and 8 go together. It, so they're meant to be understood together. And, and 6, 7, and 8 gives, if you look at it as a grouping, you get the context as Paul is trying to relay it. So I've been reading 678, 678, 678 just because. Well, because those are somewhat difficult chapters, uh, especially 6 and 7. Um, so anyway, so that's that. So Delight in the Law slash Torah, my blog. And, oh, before we even start. So Romans 8.28, I just have to share this. has nothing to do with, with the message. But you know, that's a verse where it says, and we know all th- uh, that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are to called according to his purpose. It's one of those verses that I don't think we think about anymore uh, because we read it, we know it, we've memorized it, and, and we're happy that verse is there and like what it says. And that's true, and that's all well and good. However, what I've been trying to do is, well, I haven't been trying to do it. It's like all of a sudden something will happen while I'm reading and it's like, well, wait a minute. It, it, and especially after having been in 678, 678, 678, some of the things repeat, and, and it gets you thinking a little bit more contextually, I guess. So I'm thinking Romans 8, 28. Is, is there more to it than God kind of more or less fixes everything, bad to good, it all works together, and ha- we all live happily ever after? And I'm not saying it doesn't have that, because I think it does, and rightly so, but... In digging into this a little bit, I, I read uh, the note that Albert Barnes has on it. Because you have to understand, as I didn't and needed to, he's talking about, he gets in through this section talking about tribulation and persecution and, and, and difficult things like that. And, um, and so you can't just lift Romans 8.28 out and make it stand by itself. Paul, under inspiration, wrote it. 
and he wrote it where he wrote it and in the context of how he wrote it, right? Okay, so, but I didn't know what to do with that. So Barnes, Albert Barnes had a great note and he put it for me back in context and I think it gives a broader, wonderful perspective on this verse that I've never heard before, ever, when it's preached on, right? Everybody's general understanding is all things work together for good, you know, that bad thing happened, that good thing happened, not sure about what that happened, this was a horrible thing, but God, you know, we've all heard a thing. If you do a, what do you call that thing, cross-stitch? If you do a cross-stitch, what's Vivian do? On the wall, what are those things on the wall? Cross-stitch. So on the surface, it looks great. Look underneath, and it's a mess, right? Well, that's how I've kind of heard this explained. You know, it looks like a mess from this side of heaven. But God, uh, and when you get there, you're going to see how beautiful it all worked together. You know, okay, and I agree with that. I don't disagree with any of that. But is there something more to it? So Barnes says, all things, all our afflictions and trials, all the persecutions and calamities to which we are exposed. Now, this is in the context. Though they are numerous and long continued, yet they are among the means that are appointed for our welfare. That's the first part. I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Where's the good part in any of this? You know, he's not talking about that. He's talking about afflictions, trials, persecutions, calamities. And though they're going to be numerous and long, <clears throat> yet they are, in essence, a thing that God's working all together for good. Then he says, work together for good. They shall cooperate, these tribulations and all this stuff. They shall mutually contribute to our good. They take off our affections from this world. That was so powerful. Because we want God to fix everything so we can just go happily skipping along in life. And, you know, the car didn't break down, the kids are healthy, and I, no health issues, the house didn't burn down, all my bills are paid, I'm not in debt. Woohoo! thank you, Jesus. Right? Well, all these things that work together, they, <clears throat> they shall cooperate. <clears throat> Sinuses, <clears throat> excuse me. They shall mutually contribute to our good. They, all those trials and tribulations, they take our affections off from this world. They teach us the truth about our frail, transitory, and lying condition. <laughs> oh, that's so good. They lead us to look to God for support and to heaven for a final home. And they produce a subdued spirit, a humble temper, a patient, tender, and kind disposition. This has been the experience of all saints. And at the end of life, they have been able to say it was good for them to be afflicted. Anybody ever hear Romans 8, 28 preach like that? I mean, I may be. Anybody? 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 No. <laughs> Our lying condition. How dare you, Albert Barnes? That's not, that's, that word lying is like stupid. We don't use that word anymore. <laughs> I'm so tired of this stuff. So, but that was good, right? Wasn't that good? That was great. All right, now, that's, that's free. That's aside. You can make that a separate thing. All right, so what I want to do is, and I'm not going to tell you the title yet. I'll give it to you in a minute. And we are going to read 6 and 7. I'm not going to take us through 8. But we have to read Romans 6. And it didn't take me till several times going through where a connection was being made. And I think it has to do with this idea or this word of death. So I want you to notice, not in only, but notice the times that it's referred to as uh, a death. Well, let me back up. I want to say one more thing before I get into this. Marriage. I want to say a few things about marriage. 
because it's going to fit into this, although not how I mentioned it. It's, and I, I thought about this this morning. I wanted to say, it's vit- marriage is so vitally important, meaning the person you get hooked up to in marriage. So, so, so important. And, and how I'm saying this will lead into what I think Paul is saying, but that's not why I'm doing this. We know from either personal experience or those that we are close to how, I don't know how to say it, what hell on earth a bad marriage is or a not commodious marriage or a marriage where you're living together but you're in the same house but uh, you sleep in the same bed but there's not been that connection of oneness. And... You know, it used to be that's what we would say about the world. Oh, yes, we're unsaved. You know, what do you expect? Not that I ever said that, but my university for the longest time until maybe the last couple of decades and had hundreds and hundreds and thousands of graduates out in the world, they'd say, we've never had one couple who's graduated from our college ever divorce. Well, you don't hear that anymore. <laughs> you don't hear it anymore. There's a bunch of bad marriages, not just, in, and I, bad may be the wrong word, unfortunate or I don't know. Marriages that for some reason, all the gears don't mesh and it grinds sometimes. And so it's not just in the loss, but this is also in, in the realm of the believers. Okay, so that's reality. We have to learn to deal with that. We have to work through it. Divorce in the Christian realm has become as complacent an act as it has for the world. I know. It was in my church. Close people I was close to and some in leadership ended up in divorce. After 25 years, 15 years, I don't understand it. So it happens. You know, I don't have a solution to that. Except... And this has helped me to realize the covenant relationship that God and I have. It's a covenant. You enter into it as a covenant. And there are days when it sucks, and there are days when it's just mediocre, and there are days when it just couldn't be any better. It's a relationship. But it's a relationship that stays bound through commitment. I don't know why marriages no more don't do that for in sickness and health and richness and poor and whatever, all those things that everybody said, because you're, you're saying, this is my covenant to you. I recognize we're human. We're going into this. It's going to be tough. We're going to have to work through it. But we are going to stay committed come hell or high water. Well, that's not the case anymore with Christians. Now, if that doesn't concern me, it's what we're passing down now to our kids. Our, our, your, my kids' kids and now my grandkids, they're growing up in an environment where some of this stuff that... Listen, I had unsafe family members that stayed married because that was the right thing to do. And they were a whole lot, un, a whole lot happier than some of these Christians that got divorced because they couldn't get along. So marriage is difficult. <laughs> And it's even worse when you get a kid. <laughs> then parents disown the kid. There you go. So, so what, I, what I want to, I think the hope is, 
You parents that have the kids that now are having my grandkids' age, you have to, we have to bring back the sanctity of the marriage, that it's a covenant, and that Yeshua's relationship with us as he's the bridegroom and we're the bride, marriage is supposed to picture that, that eternal bonding that our salvation pictures. We are eternally his. He doesn't divorce us, don't you? Listen. He should have divorced us a long time ago. Right? He should have, but he didn't. Why? It's a covenant. All right, enough of that. So that's, that's a rant. Well, everything I say is a rant. All right. All right, so Romans 6 uh, and 7. All right, and I'm just going to read through these. No comment. I will read the King James notes to chapter 7, verse 1, the introduction, and that's it. But remember death. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we're buried, getting into the death thing, and we've already had it in verse 2. Therefore, we were, uh, three. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. Like, I have to say this. It's like when it says that, uh, the, the, the Old Testament saints, uh, they were baptized into Moses as they were going through the sea. It's a picture of death. They're walking between the, the waves that could come down and crashing on them. They've died in this journey in Moses who is leading them. It's the same with Yeshua. We, we've died in him. It's a death experience. That's all I'm going to say. So for therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so all, uh, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin Reign, therefore, in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God, be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness and to Torahlessness, unto Torahlessness, that's the word, 
Even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now Paul's going to continue his thought and that's we're going to park in chapter 7, but I will read it. Then say a few things on the one thing I want to say. All right, so here's the King James note, and I may have read it to you before, the introductory note to the chapter. They say, no law is good. No law hath power over a man longer than he liveth. But we are dead to the law, yet is not the law sin. But holy, just, and good, as I, Paul, acknowledge, who am grieved because I cannot keep it. So they, they, they juxtapose the struggle that we, we face, especially so as Messianics and Christians don't, because we're saying, well, the, the law is not done away with. So they say, because the first part of it is going to do with the illustration or the analogy Paul uses, no law hath power over man longer than he liveth, but we are dead to the Torah, yet is not the Torah, they say this, yet the Torah is not sin. So we're dead to it, but it's not sin. So they acknowledge that. Well, what is it then? Well, this, this Torah, it's holy, it's just, and good, as I, Paul, acknowledge, because I'm grieved that I cannot keep it. Well, that, that would be a great introduction written by a Messianic author. It's, it's great. And they weren't so hung up to the degree that Christianity is today with, oh, it's bad, it's bad, and so we're throwing the whole baby out with the bathwater. They swam in the dirty water. They, I don't know that they always came out clean as, as, you know, if they yielded over to really what we think the scripture says. But yet they, were, they still swam in the muddy waters. They, they wrestled with some of this stuff, you know. They didn't try to sugarcoat it. They, they said half sugarcoat, but half, oh, man, we better throw some salt on this too. The law is holy and just and good. It's not sin. But... We're dead to the Torah. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's what we have to find out. Good thing I shut that. All right, now let's read through seven and with no comment. But remember death we talked about because that, that theme will be picked up. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law, Torah, all these are Torah, I just won't say it, but it's Torah, 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 Torah. Well, maybe I will for this. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the Torah, how that the Torah hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Now here's our analogy. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the Torah to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the Torah of the husband. What is really cool, and you'll notice, that, I said no comment, sorry. There's these other little piglet Torahs. I hate the, I don't know how else to say it. This is all that comes to my mind, the farm. Mom pig has piglets. Well, all those piglets came from the main source. So there's this Torah we think of, but they don't have any problem talking about the Torah of the husband, right? Or the Torah, there's going to be other Torahs. It's all the Torah. That's why you can't divide it up so neatly. All right, anyway, so 
2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the Torah to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the Torah of her husband because she's a Jew under the, living under the guidance of the Torah. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that Torah aspect, that particular part of it, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the Torah by the body of Messiah, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the Torah, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the Torah, that, we're going to come back to that later, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in oldness of letter. What shall we say then? Is the Torah sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the Torah, for I had not known lust, except the Torah had said, Thou shalt not covet. But you don't have to keep the Sabbath anymore. Oh, he didn't put that in there. Hey, but sin taken occasion by the commandment. See, that's the little piglets of the Torah. Thou shalt not covet. That's a, the piglets, okay? But it's still the Torah. But sin taken occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the Torah, sin was dead. As I said before, when was Paul ever apart from? If you remember the message we did on this, apart from, without, apart from. When was Paul, as a Pharisee, taught under Gamaliel, uh, 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 Jewish parents of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. When was he ever without it? Never. Well, what's he mean? I've answered that. I'm not going to do it again. For without the Torah, sin was dead. For I was alive without the Torah once. When? But when the commandment came, sin revived, I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the Torah is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was that then which is good made death unto me? God forbid! But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. That sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the Torah is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the Torah that it is good. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a Torah, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. 
For I delight in the Torah of God after the inward man, but I see another Torah in my members warring against the Torah of my mind and bringing me in captivity to the Torah of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from the body of this death. Oh, I thank God through Yeshua Messiah, our Yehovah. So then, with the mind I serve the Torah of God, but with the flesh the Torah of sin. Isn't that good? Especially if you just plug in Torah for everything. Because the whole debate is, is this law of the man? Law of man, is it the law of God? Well, this verse is for the law of man, this is the law of God. Okay, well, and we're all beat to death by this chapter. Anybody don't feel beat to death at some verse or two in this chapter? It's just like, what is this? But then you think in other parts, there's an answer. It's holy, just, and good. Well, he, under the law, bad. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, so this is a chapter we get beat up with. And maybe you kind of have the, the squirmies as you read through this, if, if, if you do, and I hope you do sometime in your reading. All right, now, where am I going? What was I going to say? <laughs> um, oh, okay. So, plugging in Torah for everything. Well, why? You know, I never saw verse 1 before. I've read it a gazillions of times. But I, there's a part I never saw before, although I've read it a gazillion times. It's verse 1. And somebody tell me what it is when we as Christians look at the whole chapter, we never really take into consideration. I'll read it. Somebody raise your hand and tell me. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the Torah, how that the Torah hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. All right, what is it we miss? When we, we, we want to use the argument that the Torah is done away with, especially from this chapter, it's not a trick question. Yes. Yes. So Paul is writing to the congregation in Rome, most likely made up of Gentiles and Jews, and perhaps there's saved in both categories floating in and out. All right. So it's kind of like this. This is the thought. Paul is saying, hey, you, you Gentiles... Go get yourself a cup of coffee right now. I need to speak to my own homies for a little bit. That's what's going on here. It's kind of like when I was pastoring and we had to talk about something after the service and I wanted the members there. I'd say, listen, take no offense, something like this. You know, I, those of you who are not members, I, I'd like you to go ahead and please dismiss yourself and leave right away because I have to talk to the members. Well, that's kind of what Paul's doing. Gentiles, for right now, take a hike. I really have to deal with my people. So that's the context of this whole chapter. In, in essence, and you can't, but in essence, you could just stop looking at this from the Christian perspective we automatically think of. We have to think of it as Paul, the Jew who has lost under the Torah, while keeping the Torah, trying to build his own righteousness through the Torah, got totally dismantled, and now he's under the Torah, but not like they are. Well, what's the difference? He's still under Torah, Paul is. And that's what we don't know how to make a distinction of, because it seems like these terms, we get all confused. Is Paul talking about this, that, or the other thing? Is he doing double talk? 
Well, as I've said before, Rush Limbaugh will say something off the cuff and, and I'm just smiling because, and then he'll say, I'm gonna get all kinds of calls on this. And who do I get these calls from? It's those that don't listen to my program and they pick up on this and they just heard this one thing and they're gonna let me hear it. I'm just chuckling beside myself because I know he purposely said that to do that. And anybody who's listened, and I'm not a big fan anymore, but I have been for years, Anybody who had listened to Rush, you knew exactly what he meant. But that took time in listening to him and getting to know him. The problem is we don't know Paul. We haven't taken the time to spend the years to read this guy, even though we all like to say, and even Peter said Paul's hard to understand. No kidding, that's a clue. You don't read Paul like you read everybody else. You don't read what God wrote to him in their inspiration. And Paul... He's not going to be bothered with having to explain everything. He's just not. See, you're going to get it or not if you don't go find out, especially my people here. You should know this stuff. And so he just gives enough, just like Jesus in the parables. Don't you know that they were offended with what you said? Of course I know. That's just what the Bible said. They're blind leading the blind. Uh, their eyes are however that guy get messed up, their eyes are darkened and their ears are plugged. Well, however it goes in their heart's hard, whatever. He specifically did that. Why? Because then those people can have their excuse, but there's the others that say, wow, I know there's something there. What was that? It's cryptic, you know, and, and so those people will search. So, so that's Paul. All right, so what do we do with Romans 7? I'm going to tell you. Now, I'm just going to read. I'm going to say the same thing kind of coming in at, on different spokes to the hub, but it's the same thing. And that's all I'm going to say. And I'm going to wind it up with a, another thought, okay? All right, now just please listen to this. All right, these are my own thoughts. So this is everything I wrote down. And then I had to figure out how to put it together. And I thought, well, I'll just write, I'll read it all. All right, first, actually we're moving along. This is point number four. Now, this is me. I never understood or could make sense. Oh, I got to tell you the, top, the, the title. Here's the title. A Bad Marriage in the First Place. That's the title. A Bad Marriage in the First Place. Now, you say, where'd you get that? I couldn't tell you. I just got it the other day. And I'm kind of just throwing this out to you. So you disagree, great. <laughs> I'm not saying it's gospel truth, but I think there's something here. So a bad marriage in the first place. That's Romans 7, okay? So now back to number four. I never understood could make sense that this was talking about a good, happy, stable marriage. Just, 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 I don't understand why he's saying what he's saying because I've always come into this chapter with the marriage analogy that it was a good marriage. But... I didn't understand. It just seemed like if it's a good marriage, I didn't understand how the rest of what Paul was saying fit a good marriage. I didn't see, understand any of it. Now, you guys may be way past me in, in already there where I'm going. So I never understood it could make sense that this was talking about a good, happy, stable marriage. Why? Number five. I, because this is what I would think. I have never wanted to be loosed, verse 2, that's our, our word in verse 2 here where Paul says, when the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as she lives, then he dies, she is loosed 
from the law of the husband. Well, that sounded like a good thing in this analogy. But to me, it's like, I, I don't know. I've never wanted to be loosed from Judy. I don't want to be free of her to be able to marry another. Although she might. <laughs> but I, I, I've never, just never, you know, I, loosed, I'm not bound. You know, I don't feel my marriage is an, op is an oppressive thing. It's not like I'm waiting along, especially at this age, for her to just, you know, hurry up and die so I can marry that, you know, that young thing 20 years younger than I am. You know, I've, I've never had that desire. So if I'm correct, it's the, Paul's not laying out before us the ailment of a good marriage. It's, it's, it's a wrong marriage, a bad marriage in the first place. All right, let me build on this. So then what's Paul's marriage analogy, analogy about? Here's my thesis, one sentence. Paul's analogy is about a marriage that was a bad slash wrong marriage in the first place. That's my thesis and I think that's Paul's thesis. Okay, so what does that have to do with anything? First off, I've mentioned this. Who's he talking to? Verse one, brethren, them that know the Torah, Jews. And perhaps the totality of the marriage analogy is in, in reference to lost Jews. Now, I'm not saying he's thinking these in Rome are lost, but the, the tenor, the tone, he's talking about those who were lost like he was before he came out from under the Torah to be placed back under the Torah. It's like he's saying in verse one, okay, I've said this. Okay, you Gentiles, go get a cup of coffee. I want to talk to my homies for a moment, like I used to say at church. So he's talking to the Jews and explaining to them by an analogy they could understood that they, the Jews, were in a bad marriage relationship. What he's wanting them to see is the analogy of a bad marriage. It seems to be oppressive. The husband dies, she's loosed, and now free to marry another. Just hang with me here. All right, that's, that's how I think I need to make sense of this. And so what Paul is trying to get the Jews to understand is they are likened in their relationship to the Torah, as they understand it, in a bad marriage. So he's talking to the Jews, explaining to them by an analogy they could understand that they were in a bad marriage relationship. They are married to the wrong husband. They need to be loosed. So they're in a bad marriage they need to get out of. So the Jews, verse 1, need to get free, loosed from the wrong marriage concept, experience. Paul talks about the flesh, the members. So they need to get free, loosed from the wrong marriage concept experience to the correct one, the inward man, the mind, verse 22 and 23. So Paul says they're in the flesh. That, and because of that and because of how they've been taught, they're under the wrong marriage relationship concept with the Torah. It's all of the flesh. They need to have a, a relationship with the Torah that's internal in the mind and in the heart, not in the flesh through actions. So, first part of verse 2. Their marriage, the Jews, 
Their marriage to the wrong mindset, the oral torch, which was bondage, condemned them to a living death. That's what they're under. That's what Paul says he was under. They were married to the wrong Torah mindset of works, of doing stuff to please God. They're under this bondage, but they have to keep doing and keep offering sacrifices and do prayers and, and have long seats and flactories and all this external stuff, just like Paul did. He's saying, I was married to the wrong Torah all along. It was a bad marriage in the first place. I'm finally seeing that. Is this making sense? Help me here. No? Okay, but you're not looking like yes. <laughs> yeah, oral Torah. It's the oral Torah. Let me say again. The Jews were married to the wrong Torah mindset, oral Torah bondage, and that condemned them to a living death. The second part of verse 2, their the Jews, new marriage in Messiah to the right, correct Torah mindset freed them or loosed them to walk or live in Yeshua, the Torah made flesh. In other words, verse 2a, before salvation, they were bound by the wrong Torah mindset, oral works. Verse 2b, after salvation, they were loosed from that wrong Torah mindset and placed in the right for a relationship which was in Yeshua. So they went from a bad marriage to a good marriage. Oral Torah under the way Paul was taught by Gamaliel and his family taught him and he was indoctrinated when he came to realize he had to be loosed from that. Well, that's why he's stymied. That's why God has to send him on the Damascus road. That's why it has to be so staggeringly knocked down to baby close to death because he needs to know he has to die to everything that's led him to persecute the Christians who he thought were married to the wrong thing only to find out he his whole life was in a bad marriage relationship with God through the oral Torah and not with the living Torah Yeshua which he experienced on the Damascus road then he says, I am not out from under the Torah. I am now, and I'll say it, at liberty to live in the, I, I have the liberality to live in liberty under the Torah in Yeshua, the living Torah. And that's what he's trying to get them to see. You never get out from under the Torah. The notion that it's under the Torah is always a bad thing is, is half right, half wrong. We're not now, woohoo, as, as we did as Christians. Oh, man, everything's fine as long as you love. You can eat this, you can go here, you can do that, you can have, you know, break up your marriage, you can, you know, everything's because under grace, under law back there, under grace here. That is so shoddy, and I thought that, knew that, but what's the answer? The answer, in a nutshell, is bad marriage in the first place, whether you're coming from the Christian perspective or the Jewish perspective, but he's trying to get them to see his own people, bad marriage folks, I'm your example. But then Christians say, whoo, out from under the Torah. And I'll get to that a little bit later. We're not out from under the Torah. We're in the Torah for the first time. But we still are under Yeshua. We're not free to do whatever the we want to do. Your mother's working on me with this language thing, so. <sighs> so, second half of verse 2. The Jews, their new marriage in Messiah to the right, correct Torah mindset 
freed them, loosed them now to walk and live in Yeshua, the Torah made flesh. In other words, before salvation, they were bound by the wrong Torah mindset, works and oral Torah. After salvation, they were loosed from that wrong Torah mindset to now get placed back under the proper master. He is our Lord. We're still taking orders. We're still under him. But now he's a living Torah, not the oral Torah, not tradition, not how you grew up as a Catholic, as a Baptist, as a Protestant, or as a Jew in the synagogue. It's not any of that. It's not man-made. It's not you can get yourself to heaven in your own good works or self-reformation. That's why we have that whole thing where in the Scofield says the worthlessness of self-reformation where the demons go out and, 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 and they look wherever they can go and they're in dry and barren places and then they say, man, this sucks. Let's go back to our original host. And Yeshua said that man is, I forget how many times, worse off, not a child of hell than if it never happened. You're never out from underneath this stuff. You can't reform yourself. When you reform yourself, and that's whether you call it under God, talk with a lady at length yesterday, and you could see it in her, reformed through Alcoholic Anonymous, a wonderful lady, actually had a great time, respect her a lot, if she ever happens to hear this, but she won't because she wouldn't take one of our cards. I said, I won't give it to you, but if you like it, you can have it, and you don't want it. But got reformed through Alcohol Anonymous, and the 10 steps based on whatever in the Bible. And she kept referring to our book, our book, our book. Now her hope is in what set her free from alcohol. And I'm happy for that. But that was self-reformation. And she cannot hear the truth now, at least as I presented it, and would not, as her face showed. And she's maybe worse off because she has her own oral Torah called AA, Alcoholic Anonymous, in the book. Well, the Jews have their book, we have our book, we have our teachers, they have their teachers. If it's all works, you're worse off, you're going to end up worse. Twofold the child of hell. Pharisees, you go lay in the sea to find a proselyte. When you find him, you make him twofold the child of hell. Jesus, that's not loving. That wasn't a swear. Yeshua, what you just said wasn't loving. It's not like my parents. You know, why growing up, you know, the swears and, and my parents used Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. It's like, why? Anyway, that's way offside. All right, so let's wrap this up. So the old husband equals the condemnation of the Torah because they were in their own works, trying to work it out. That's the old husband. You can't get saved by being a Catholic. You can't get saved by being a Baptist. You can't get saved by being a Presbyterian. You can't get saved by being a Reformed Jew, a Hasidic Jew. You, nothing can save you. All of it, I'm lumping under the wrong husband relationship. Bad marriage. Not going to work. All right. The new husband, Yeshua. That's liberation. We've been liberated to live in the liberty of the Torah. The Torah, raise your hand if you think, I mean, I understand. Raise your hand now if you think the Torah is a burden. It's this heavy thing. Well, it's a pain in the neck sometimes. You know, we have to do this, do this, can't do this. We're always explaining ourselves. But that comes with the territory. So we don't look at that as negative. I don't feel under the burden of it. If I feel under the weight of it, it's because I'm fighting against it still. But now we, we are here. 
And I'm under the Torah. Well, what are you saying? Who's the Torah? What's the Torah? Yeshua made flesh. He's the Torah. Wrap up. Our old man died in Messiah, freeing us from the condemnation of the Torah to live in the freedom of the Torah through Messiah Yeshua. Can you understand why it's confusing? Because that's exactly what Paul's saying. <laughs> I hate it when I say this, but that's good. This is good. I read my blog on serving God sinlessly or whatever to a fellow the other day, and I always forget their mind. I saw him Christmas morning. I'm reading this thing, and I'm, man, I'm getting, that guy is good. I like what he's saying, and I forget it's me. Literally, I forget it's me. I think, wow, this is good stuff. And so Mike Harper, Mike Harper says, the guy that wrote that, point to me, the guy that wrote that just needs to live what he wrote. Because I still struggle with, you know, how do you serve God sinlessly? How did David, if, David, if you've not read my blog, well, we do it, we can, David did, because he, he knew he was covered in a righteousness, not his own. He knew he was in Messiah to come. Anyway, that's a whole other message. Anyway, so, but let me say this again. And then I, we're going to hit one point. Our old man died in Messiah, freeing us from the condemnation of the Torah to live in the freedom of the Torah through Messiah Yeshua. It didn't dismiss the Torah. It just helped us to see a new relationship, a new marriage relationship. And who can't understand you might be in one, you might know people you've been in one. A bad marriage, juxtaposed to a good marriage. Everybody understands that. So Paul says, hey, here's a bad marriage. I'm going to show you guys, you Jews, my people, you're married to the wrong system, married to the wrong thing. It's not the Torah that's at fault. It's your understanding, just like it was my understanding. But I met the Torah on the Damascus Road. <gasps> what? I met the living Torah. And now I am his. I am his bondservant. He owns me. I am under him. Nothing's changed. Jesus has always been the Torah. It's the perspective. All right, now, one last thing. Verse 3. I hope this will be helpful. I, because this is the sticky, probably, verses, the two verses in here. All right, verse 3. Um, oh, let's see. All right, let's read verse 3. Um, For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the Torah to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the Torah of the husband. Then go to verse 6. But now we are delivered from the Torah, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not knownness of letter. Now what I want you to know, and, and you might have the, the KJ, King James translators, put at it, you can come at it from a different perspective, but let's look at it. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held. What is that being dead? What is the that? What is the, the that? Somebody tell me. Think about it. Don't spurt it out. But normally, what do we think? I can tell you what I think because this is a verse that was used, I used, others used, it's going to be used. But now we're delivered from the Torah, that being dead, wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So what is the that that is dead or the that that we've died to? What is it? In context. In the context of the chapter, the, the early verses that led up to verse 3. 
what died? The husband. The husband. And now she's free. She's loose to marry. That being dead wherein we were held is not the Torah. But that's what we've been taught. That's what I taught. That's what we preach. That's what Christians will say to you. Yeah, but Paul says we're dead to the law. That, that, the Torah, that being dead. No. In the context, what died? What's the thing that's died in the context of this chapter? The husband. That's why the analogy is used. That being dead is not the Torah. That which was dead was the husband. That which died was the husband. That which was needs to die to us is the husband in our wrong relationship to God. The orator, the Torah, our works, that's what has to die. That's what died in Yeshua. When did it die? It died when Paul accepted Yeshua on the Damascus road. That husband died. That old Torah died. Now he's married to another, Yeshua. That Torah is alive. Same Torah, but he was dead, that dead, dead, dead. Alive, alive, alive. What died? What died on the Damascus Road? The wrong husband. He got married to another. Woohoo! Ah, glory to God, this is good. Anybody think so about me? This is good stuff. <sighs> it scares me when I come up with stuff on my own, because right now you're hearing me. I, I study, I read. I might have got some pointers, but I couldn't figure out where even though I have my notes. So, I can't take all credit, but I'll take all blame. Um, that's it, folks. That being dead, wherein we were held. Whew! Not the Torah. It was whatever was holding us. If you take it outside of the Jews of chapter 7, what was holding you? It died when you came to Yeshua. Was it your sin? Was it your religion? Was it your lifestyle? Was it whatever? It died. That's why he talks about the baptism into Christ. And I drew the analogy to the baptism into Moses. We died in Jesus. We died in him. Well, what died? Everything before that was wrong. <laughs> That's why it's hard for religious people to get Say because they've vested so much. And you can see it in her face like that lady yesterday. Hey, hey, he's going to have to die. That book's going to have to die. Because I kept pushing the scriptures. Read the scriptures. Read the scripture. Well, it's going to have to die. I vested myself. It changed me. It, it's healed me. It saved my life. Okay. It's a pathway. It's not gospel. It's not the word of God. It's not even God's way. It may be useful. You get where I'm going? Am I beating this to death? This is good stuff. So, that being dead, wherein we were held, the husband, the bad marriage, our bad relationship with God through works, through everything. But the Torah didn't die. The husband died. Our works that were dead anyway died. We died. We died in Yeshua. We died in him. We were baptized into him. Like as he died, we were raised in him to walk in newness of life, Paul told us. Okay, I'm going to preach this again. To me, this is so liberating. This is so exciting. It's like an answer to a question that if you're talking to any Christian, sooner or later it'll come up. Well, what do you say to that? And your mind goes, bangs in your head and you just come out with nothing. 
And then Satan starts to pick at your faith. You thought you knew what you believed, didn't you? But they got you with that verse over there. You weren't even thinking about it. And it sounds so right. Put it in context. That's what that taught me. This has taught me. Again, six, seven, and eight. It all goes together as a unit. You have to put that being dead wherein we were held in the context of those three chapters, specifically chapter seven. And eight. You can come away free. Let's pray. So, Father, I thank you for your word, for blessing me. I mean, these are answers to verses I've been searching for and, and somehow to have been able to walk through this minefield of, of uh, difficulty and come out of it with an answer. It's mine anyway. I'm happy with it. Um, I thank you for and And if nothing else, I'm asking that the folks that are here and whoever may listen to this, that I push them a little bit to find their own answers. Quit reading after everybody. You know, they may be helpful. Quit, you know, drumming up all of your new messianic guy. We can find God. Help us to just get away and look to your word only. So anyway, thank you that uh, Paul was confusing and hard to understand. But once you get through it and to it, wow, it's 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 life changing. And I thank you for that in Yeshua's name. Amen. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. The soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and zeal. Oh, oh, zeal.